Hey, it's not church without relationships. This week, I was able to hear that the welcome class, one of our life groups, uh, is meeting once every month over the next couple months, uh, outside doing small gatherings, figuring out ways to get connected. That's what it's all about. We need to do that. We need to find creative ways. I saw there in the comments that Ann Reed's got some people over, Joan Sendling and some others over there watching together. Hey, it's an amazing thing to be together. And right now, uh, this is the way that we can do it, through house parties, through the Zoom, uh, continued conversations right after the service, through uh, you know, watching online together, through phone calls and emails and just shooting people texts that say, hey, I love you, I'm thinking about you, meeting on people's porches. This is the way that we can do it right now. We cannot lose those connections. We cannot neglect each other. So I'm asking you to commit you to do something. If you're in your room right now watching it alone, that means you have an assignment. And that assignment is to find ways to connect. Now, maybe you're in a vulnerable, you know, category and you can't do, you know, a house party or go over. So that's awesome. But find a way to connect with somebody this week. Maybe someone you don't even know or maybe someone you haven't seen or talked to in the four months of this pandemic. We have to reach out. We've got to because we cannot survive this alone. So we're in the second a message in this series on Second Peter before I go. And in the first chapter of this second letter that Peter wrote to the churches in Asia Minor, Peter sees that the end of his life is drawing near. So Peter wants to tell these Christians some things before he goes. And some things that will help them continue to be followers after he is no longer around, after he is gone. In the first chapter, we saw that everything that we need is found in Jesus Christ. And we also saw that God wants us to take part in his divine nature and to escape from sin. See, once he saves us, the, the, uh, you know, the goal is not for you to remain the same and just be forgiven all the time. The goal is for you to become more and more like him. And he makes that ability available to us. We'll never be perfect, but we can grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ, more and more like our Father. In order to do this, Peter challenges us to add some supplements to our life. Focus on being these things, he says, you, you will continue to grow in your faith and you won't fall. Now, we can only practice these things through the Holy Spirit. We can't muster up enough energy and try hard enough to make these things happen. But he says, you need to be systematically adding these supplements to your life. And here's the list of these supplements that he said. He said, goodness, wisdom, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Peter says, practice these things and you won't fall. And this is important because chapter 2 in Peter, he's warning them big time that there are false teachers that are coming, that are going to try and distract them. And if they aren't grounded in what is true and strong in the faith, then they will fall. And Peter's about to tell these churches about a particular philosophy that these false teachers will live by. See if you can spot it as we read this chapter. Let's start in verse 1. It says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will 
secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Check this out. It says, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. Now, some of us are optimists, right? We look at the bright side all the time. And honestly, that's a great uh, and needed quality. But when we look at the church, sometimes we're tempted to believe that everybody's there for the same reason. But the Bible tells us that is not true. So Peter is telling us not everyone is here with the mission in mind. And if you're, you're an optimist, that might be uncomfortable for you to believe. And you, you want to think the best about everybody. And that's a good quality. But here he's saying you have to keep your eyes open. Because there are people that will come in secretly. And their goals will be to control and to manipulate and to have their way. To pull people off track with their ideology and teaching. And maybe nowadays it's materialism and humanism and politics and nostalgia and affirming uh, theologies. Things that put something before God and put God on a shelf to be admired from afar rather than followed as the Lord of our lives. It says these, uh, these false teachers are driven by their senses and their desires, their flesh. They're carnal. That means they will be driven by what they feel and their emotions will drive them. Anger, bitterness, disunity, dishonesty, lust, defensiveness, pride, greed. These verses say that the truth will be ridiculed and mocked. So that means that it's possible for someone to get up in a business meeting at a church and try and lead people away from God that means it's, it's possible that a life group leader might try and sway people's opinion to themselves rather than to Scripture. And that also means that a pastor can put himself before the Bible and twist Scripture to say what he wants it to say. See, false teachers won't always just be smiling televangelists that kind of give you the creeps. No, it's possible for someone to be in leadership, even be a pastor or a person of influence in the church, and for them to be self-centered and self-serving and to try and lead people away from the mission and from the truth. And you can listen to them and talk, how much they talk about what they think and their opinion. See, the Bible tells us here to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. That means we, we need to have grace and we need to have mercy and forgiveness. But that doesn't mean that we're ignorant and blind to people trying to distract the church from the mission. And that's why we need to know our Bible so we can see the problems. And if you're not grounded in your faith, you might just be tricked. And that's what Peter's trying to, wor uh, to, to warn us of here. That means we track everything with Scripture. And we take things to God in prayer and ask God to lead us personally because sometimes the people you're following might just be following or leading you in the wrong direction. And if we see something wrong, then we do not let it go unchecked. Not because we're right and they're wrong, not out of pride, but because the truth matters. The truth matters. But it's so easy for us to get led astray by false words. 
I'm reading right now a book on leadership theories, and it talks about how uh, people's physical and personality traits really come into us seeing people as leaders. And we just look at somebody, and they just look like a leader. And even now, we're still like the kingdom of Israel, where they wanted a king, right? And, and Saul was this guy that they just looked at. He just looked like a king. He was tall and handsome. He was uh, loud and had a ton of self-confidence once he finally, you know, got into the role of being a king. You know, throw in some charm, and, and a person can lead a group of people anywhere. And we see that all the time. That's actually how cults are, get, you know, started. Because we love to be led by what we wish we were. But we must beware of false teachers. In the next verses, Peter says, swift punishment is waiting for those that come into a church family to cause division and lead people away from what is most important. Verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord, if God knows all that, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. What you see there, man, that's some some heavy stuff, right? What you see, though, is God protects his children. He takes his children seriously. And people that have wrong motives will be exposed and false teachers will be found out. And we need to make sure that we understand that we're all leaders and we're all teaching someone and someone is watching you and learning. And we need to test our own motives and test our own actions to see if they line up with God's word. We need to be constantly looking at ourselves and saying, where am I leading? Because these verses describe some big, scary judgments that he laid out for people that lived by their own desires. And, and these were people that uh, you know, acted like they were followers of God, but really it wasn't real in their hearts and their passion led them astray and they despised authority. But the people, uh, uh, but here we see the same God that judges also delivers. Isn't that amazing? He delivered Noah, he delivered Lot. God is always faithful to deliver people if they are willing to follow him. In verses 11 through 16, Peter continues to describe what false teachers look like. He says they're bold and they're arrogant and they're mocking things that they don't understand and they're driven by their flesh and they're compulsive and they're reactive. Some will preach freedom that is given to us through the gospel, but then use it as a means to revel in sin. And they've forsaken following Christ, distracted by other things. Now remember, these false teachers aren't atheists. These are people that are not rejecting the idea of God. These false teachers are those that have the appearance of being religious. These are, in this passage, these are church-going people. But verse 17 says, These are waterless springs and mists driven by storm, 
for the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Like springs without water and like clouds without rain, these false teachers come with promise of refreshment and that if you just follow them, then everything will be okay. But in reality, it is an empty promise. And in the end, they only bring despair. You know, every few years, uh, the church world is taken by storm by like a new book, right? Whether it's about a conversation someone had with God or, or someone died and went to heaven and came back, or maybe it's some like new spiritual discipline. Hey, we need to be careful that we look at these things closely and hold them up to the Bible before we jump on these bandwagons. So the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. If we don't have this, then we don't have anything. Sometimes these fads are uh, springs without water and clouds without rain, and they distract us and they distort the truth of God's word. And, And there is a theme, especially nowadays, with these ones that are becoming popular, whether it's like a Bible study or whether it's a book, there's a common theme right now that God just wants you to be happy, and he doesn't care what you have to do to get there. And you be careful of that. Because that makes you the center of the universe instead of God. Now, obviously, God does want you to have joy, and God does want you to be happy. But there is no happiness except in Him. Everything else is fading, and everything else is is a waterless spring or a cloud without rain. We have to find our joy in glorifying God and obeying God. And He will not just say, hey, here's some, uh, some commandments, but you don't worry about doing those things. You just be happy. You just do you. No, these things that he's laid out, these commands and these boundaries that he's laid out are for your happiness and for your good so that you might glorify God and ultimately satisfy your needs found in him. Peter goes on describing false teachers. Verse 18 says, for they uh, speaking loud boasts of folly. That means the loudest person isn't always the right person, right? Speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Check this out. It says, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Whatever controls you, to that you are a slave. That's, you know, like the common theme that we see in people that are struggling with addictions. Well, I can stop anytime I want, but the truth is that they're slaves to that corruption. They're slaves when they are overcome by something. It says, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. So these people learn about the truth and they get a little bit of knowledge about what Uh, God wants them to do and who Jesus is, but then they go back. It says the last state has become for them worse than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to say, I don't want it and to reject it and to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. This is one of the grossest verses in the Bible. You ready? The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. These false leaders are slaves to their own desires and their own passions and their own thoughts. And and whatever has overcome them has enslaved them. They can't get past that. 
Peter spends this whole chapter saying, look, before I go, you need to know that you need to watch out because false teachers are coming and it's going to be hard to spot them and it's going to be hard to see what they're doing. You need to be able to check it and try it through God's word and say, is this attitude the right attitude? Is this direction what God's word wants us to do? Are these priorities that we're putting up there, are they the most important thing? False teachers are coming. And that begs the question for us today in the world that we live in is how do you determine what you believe? How do you? What filter do you have to say this is true and this is false? Here's a simple test. What does it take for you to share something on the internet? right? What does it take for you to say, yes, I'm going to push that out there. I'm going to put my name next to it and push it out there. Do you take an article from a website that no one has ever heard of and endorse it with your name without ever fact-checking if it's right, just because it sounds like something that you want to believe? Do you take your name, that name that is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life as a Christian, as a child of God, and you push things out that are false, unverified, and opinion-based? Christians should be known for standing for the truth, even when the truth hurts our arguments. No one should be staunch defenders of the truth more than the Christian. Let me say that one more time. You ready? Christians should stand for the truth. That's what we should be known for. Even when the truth hurts our arguments, no one should be staunch defenders of the truth more than the Christians. So it begs the question, hey, when we share things on the internet that are not true, are we becoming false teachers? Hey, you need to scour your Bible, to weigh everything with Scripture. Stop getting all your truth from the news, from the internet, from whispers down the lane, and look at God's truth. This is God's Word printed on paper. How much time are you spending in this? How important is this to you? We need to weigh everything with Scripture. A little simple uh, tip that you can ask is, would Jesus post this, right? Is this true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And then add that to your conversations as well when you're at the store or you're in the neighborhood. We should never say, well, I don't know if this is true, but that's us spreading things. We should be known for the truth. Why? Because we have the most important truth in the world. If we water down our reputation and our testimony by sharing things and by talking about things that are not the most important, then we might just become a false teacher ourselves. Peter says false teachers are loud with their foolishness. They're bombastic with their promises and they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to this world and earthly desires. Sounds a lot like politicians today, right? Sexual promiscuity, drunkenness, greed, pride, materialism, selfishness. Why do we go back to that mess after we know the truth? Why are we so tempted with this stuff that leaves us empty and full of guilt and shame? We must watch out. Don't search to quench your thirst from a waterless spring. 
Go to the fountain of living water that can quench your thirst forever. Don't follow false teachers into something that will hurt you. Or even worse, don't you yourself become a false teacher. See, the gospel heals us. The gospel promises us that it can heal us from our sin sickness and cleanse us from filth of sin. Don't get tricked into going back to those things. And you being the center of your life. And then once we make sure that we're not following a false teacher, we need to make sure that then we're preaching the gospel with our lives louder than anything else. Don't be the sports guy or don't be the essential oils lady or don't be the politics person. Be the person that is all about the gospel, all about being a follower of Jesus Christ. What's the best way for us not to be tricked by false teachers? Tony Evans told us last week, the more you know the real thing, the more you can detect the wrong thing. The more you're familiar with that which is authentic, the more you will see that which is counterfeit. If you're shallow in your faith, if you don't know God's word, you will get tricked. Things will sound good. It's tempting. If you're not reading your Bible consistently and getting something from it, if you're not spending spending genuine quality time in prayer, then you most likely will get tricked. We cannot see all the lies and the traps on our own. And you'll be a sitting duck for false teaching. Peter says, look, guys, before I go, you have to mature in your faith. I cannot walk beside you every minute of every day. You have to take responsibility for it. And it's nobody else's fault that you're not growing in the faith. You have to take responsibility. You've got to mature because Peter says, I won't be around soon. And you need to be able to stand on your own two feet. And while you're at it, add some supplements to your life, some things that will strengthen your faith, goodness, wisdom, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And then watch out. Watch out, watch out. Because false teachers are coming. And they're going to try and sneak into your church. And they'll seem to be religious. They'll be loud and bombastic. And they'll promise freedom when they themselves are enslaved. And they'll say it's okay to do things that will ultimately leave you empty. Watch out. Make sure you're not following one and make sure you're not being one. You must take these things seriously. For we are closer to the return of Christ than we have ever been before. And our nose needs to be in our Bible. Find faithful preachers and teachers that, can, that you can trust. Find accountability partners. People that are going in the same direction. That will push you towards doing what is right. And not just uh, you know, enabling you, but sharing scripture with you. And then pray, pray, pray. Because we have to mature. There are people all around you that want to tell you what Christians like you should be like and should care about and should do. Culture and celebrities want to tell you, politicians, Facebook friends. Everyone is trying to get followers. Watch out who you follow and watch out who you are leading and how you are leading. Don't forget the mission. Your purpose is to glorify and honor God with your life. And to tell others about how amazing Jesus is. To love God and love your neighbor. And don't get tripped up by trivial things. And instead, grow in goodness, in wisdom, and self-control, endurance, and godliness, and brotherly affection, and love.